Before we move on and have our time of prayer as a chapel family, we wanted to do something just intentional in a moment, and that is say um, farewell um, to a family that is right up here in front, the Janikies. And so um, we're just going to take a few minutes to hopefully be a blessing to you and tell you how much we appreciate you. We're going to miss you guys and how great it was having you here for a season. So why don't you do some Uh, the Janikis have been um, very helpful in this chapel, um, very practically too. One of the things they've done is coordinate the lunch that we do every week. Wow. And we need some help. So come on, help us out. Um, they didn't pick up the trays every week, but they coordinated it because we're a body, right? We share the load. And so they, they coordinated that load for us. So thank you. Ryan, we say anything? Kelly, is? Hey, you can go first, Kelly. Go first, and I'll, I'll wrap it up if you want to. No, I just really want to say uh, thank you so much uh, for what you've done here. A lot of ups and downs, we know that. And uh, I'm really glad how people have rallied around uh, and loved and supported each other um, and supported you. And we'll continue to pray for you. And God will lead you right to that next community where he wants you. So uh, there's, there's three things that, we always, that our family always looks for at every duty station. Where are we going to live? Where are we going to fellowship, and who are we going to do life with? And, and you guys, we, we did life together. Um, we, were, we were all at, we fellowshiped somewhere else, this, our two families. And then uh, we felt, we felt uh, a strong desire to, to serve here. And I don't think we asked you to come with us, but, but that bond was so tight that we, we'd look over and be like, oh, Janikis are here. Yes, that was my, that was my prayer. And, and we really did life together in a way that uh, many people won't realize how, how, um, how tight we became and um, how read into each other's lives we, we were. Um, I think the deepest desire of, of any person is to be, have your secrets known and to be loved anyways. And so I, I'm grateful on behalf of me and my family. Uh, we're totally going to miss you guys. And... Uh, We'll see, you, we'll see you soon. Can you we'll see you soon. Where you're gonna go? A little about what you're doing next. Uh, that is, uh, paradise. <laughs> paradise. Yeah, paradise. There's no green there, but there's lots of uh, brown. <laughs> it's very hot, um, but we'll, we'll make the best of it. Uh, we'll bloom where we're planted. Yeah. yeah. And, we, and we have a little gift for you, too. We just want to give it to you quickly. So this is. A, um, a little replica of Patch Chapel. It's not much, but it's, it's kind of neat. Look at this. It's kind of neat. It's a, it's a display of Patch. You can remember it always. I thought about doing like a commissary food tray right there. <laughs> so you can always remember it. But put a little special place in your house. Know that we're going to miss you a lot. And think of yeah. us from time to time. Okay. And uh, my, my thing was always, God doesn't mess up on our address. He doesn't mess up on our address. He doesn't mess up on our orders. He's, he's our monitor or our detailer. But, uh, yeah, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for the friendship that we have. And, you know, our friendship is so deep that if I didn't have 50 family members uh, for, you know, to, to look after our kids, if Jeanette and I would, would be taken to heaven, that you guys would be on that list. That's how, that's how deep our friendship is. So we're going to miss you. This isn't goodbye, but we'll see you, see you next time. Yeah. Let's, let's pray. God, thank you for the Marines. Thank you for uh, men and women and families with heart. 
heart with an aim to serve the body of Christ. And we thank you for the season that we've shared together. Please bless every step for the Janikees, especially for their boys, too, as they grow to be godly men. Nothing finer than we see than the planting that's been done here for this season. They'll grow into oaks of righteousness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Yeah, that's the... Um, it's the life we signed up for, right? We, we have to say bye. We have to uh, farewell each other. But when you live in the kingdom of God, when you have eternity to look forward, this, this stuff really doesn't, it pales in comparison to we'll be together for eternity. If you would um, open your Bibles, please, to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. And in Ephesians 4, 17 through 32, we are continuing our, our series in Ephesians. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and 32, where, where Paul talks about the old way of living, and it's Ephesians 4, chapter 17 through 32, where he talks about the new way of living. Um, that is the greatest sound ever, the sound of a crying baby. We love it in Pat's Chapel. It's the sound of growth, so thank you. Okay, and so this passage, um, it just talks about how we should be living, which is our question anyways. We all know, how should we be living? I've been a, I've been a Christian for... I don't know, over, over 30 years. I've been pastoring over like 20 years. It's been 10 years exactly since I rededicated my life to the Lord and fully surrendered. We were part of this community in Hawaii and, and uh, just stepped into this realm of being fully known and fully loved. But yet, I say that to say this, yet to this day, my confession before you, being transparent and vulnerable here, I still struggle every day. I still struggle with living this Christian life. I, and in fact, as I, as I was preparing this message, I said, I'm, I feel like such a hypocrite. Because this thing's talking about not being angry. This thing's talking about living in love. And I've just not done that for the past at least three years as I've been convincing myself that I have reasons to be angry about some things that I'll unpack later on. And then I read something like this passage that says we're to get rid of all that. So I, I stand here before you completely humbled. This passage is real to me. This is not something that's theoretical or, or, or pie in the sky to me. This is, this is real. And I think if you're honest as well, you would admit that the struggle is real as well. I read a book called uh, Be Free. Becoming Who You Already Are by Rebecca Lyons. And in one of the best quotes in this book, it said that it's not about my struggle, it's about his rescue. So to get my eyes off of me and, and what I'm going through and what kind of struggles I'm going through and my kind of bitterness or anger or resentment or guilt, anger, jealousy or greed, you name it, the list goes on and on. 
It's not about me and my struggle and how I keep failing. It's about his rescue. So it's about the Savior. It's not about me. It's not about me. That's one of the most freeing things I've ever heard. It's not about me. So as you're here, let's read the passage. Let's start off by reading scripture together. Paul says this. Therefore I say this and I testify in the Lord that you should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And because of the hardness of their hearts, they became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. Jesus. To take off your former way of life, the the old old self that is corrupted corrupted by by deceitful desires, desires, verse 23, 23, to be be renewed in the the spirit spirit of your minds, and to put put on the new self, the one one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity purity of the the truth. truth. Verse 25, therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth to to each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he's to do honest work with his own hands, so he has something to share. With anyone, anyone in need. 29. No, no foul, foul language, nor no unwholesome talk should come out of your mouths, but only what is good for building someone up in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. 30. And don't grieve God's Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. 31. Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you, along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Can I pray for us? Lord, as we have read this passage, we pray for inner strength, with power in our inner beings, that these things would become more and more true for us today than it was yesterday. We would see our need for each other to do this together, to encourage one another, to forgive one another, to walk with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a little context here. As you know, as we've been going through this series, Paul is not writing this from his office. He's writing this from a place where he's imprisoned. And in, and he was in prison. It's a special kind of prison. It's house arrest. He's in his rented apartment in Rome. And the book of Acts, the last two verses of the book of Acts says that he stayed in that house for two years. People were coming and going to visit him as he's shackled to a guard. So think about that. As we read this passage, this man is writing to encourage these people in modern day Turkey. Turkey, Turkey, 
about their struggles and about their identity in Christ, all the while he's in prison unjustly, falsely accused for causing a riot. He shouldn't be in prison, but it's a corrupt system. There's a lot of things that we can relate to in the first century. It's just the same thing, different skills, I like to say. The world hasn't changed since the beginning. Since the fall of man, it hasn't changed. People will always be corrupt. I was sitting, I was in, a sitting in a class for, 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 uh, for uh, like a military class, and, and one guy from, one guy from, from, a, from a country, country says, says, oh, well, I don't trust that government, it's full of corrupt people. people. And I said, and I said well, well, what makes, what a, makes a, a government corrupt? corrupt. It's, it's people. people. So as long as there's as people, as then there's going to be corruption, because the, the nature of man is, is broken and fallen, and the whole story of the Bible is this the creation happened, then the fall, then redemption and restoration towards kingdom living. Got this whole Bible, all 66 books and 40 plus or minus authors, describes what God is doing to restore humanity. And we are partnering with God to be part of that restoration. I'm just a, a restored restorer helping other people get restored. So Paul is writing, and uh, three weeks ago, three weeks or four weeks ago, we visited this place. Look at that. There's Kyler and Giselle taking pictures of that place. It's the same place. Look at that. Right there. So if you didn't know, these are real places. These were real events. They really happened. It's not fictitious. We're looking at it. And he stayed in these things called an, an insula. Now, these are all over ancient Rome. I don't know if this is the exact spot where, where Paul lived, but it's kind of cool to think that he was writing, and I'm looking at this real apartment that he was in for two years. Um, because they're all spread out throughout the city of Rome, it's easy for slaves to hide when they ran away, like Onesimus. It was hard for Paul to be found. Someone was trying to find him. But this is, this is the context of here, what, where he's writing, okay? As he's giving all this encouragement to them. This is where he's writing. So back to our passage here. It, it breaks down into three different categories, or three different places here. I've broken this down. This is my own outline here. As I, as I read scripture, I just see what the natural breakdown is. And here's what I see. He describes what it's like in the old way of life. The B.C. days, the before Christ days. And he calls them here uh, Gentiles. Now, it's not literal. As you study that word Gentiles, this, the Greek word is ethnos. It's the nations. But here it's been used for for pagan people who are disobedient and unbelievers. It's basically synonymous with, with disobedience or, or non-believers. So this is what it looks like. This is what the life looks like here, 17 through 19. The, the, the Gentile way of living, the non-believer way of living, but specifically a life of idolatry and disobedience. And then he explains three characteristics for the new man. And he says, put on the new man. Take off the old man, like a pair of old clothes. Take them off, put it on, and then he transitions to what I counted in the original Greek was, uh, you, could, you could make a case for 15, but in the original language, it's 13 verbs here. So that's important to me, should be important to all of us, because when the scriptures tell us to do something, when they advise us, it's always going to be in the form of a verb. I love Schoolhouse Rock, so I know that verb, verb, verb is an action word. So I'm following the actions here, and I go, okay, so that's what God wants. That's what he wants me to stop doing. That's what he wants me to do. 
So this concept of putting on um, the, the, the new and taking off the old, it's all throughout Paul's writings. It's all throughout Scripture. But let's go here. Therefore, verse 17, Therefore I say this and I testify to you, you should no longer live as the Gentiles in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. You see that progression there? Okay, so first thing, they have futile thoughts. Their thoughts are futile. Two, they are darkened in their understanding. They're not understanding the way of God. Three, excluded from the life of God. It keeps going because they're ignorant. But look at the bottom here. The very root, the very root of this problem of this Gentile or this, this unbeliever or this, this idolatrous living is, is what? Look at the end of verse 18 there. Because of the hardness of their hearts. You know where else where, where Paul describes this type of person? If you would... Let's go to Romans 1.21. This is also, if you ever wondered why people act the way they do, or, or we might look at someone and say, oh my gosh, what? how could you do that? How could you go that far? How could you be that depraved, right? It's, it's a judgment. We all have done it. I've done it. Here's the answer. Romans 1.18 through 24, Romans 1, 18 through 24, it's because of the wrath of God. And that's why people can be so depraved. I try not to read the news anymore because it's, it's just so depressing. And our souls were never meant to, uh, to see all of the tragedies all throughout the world at the same time. We're not, we weren't meant to scroll and say, oh my gosh, can you believe this many people? Were, oh my gosh, can you believe this? We're, our souls weren't, they, they don't have the capacity to deal with that day to day without it being affected. But it's all the wrath of God. Look at this. Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 18. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the, um, of the unrighteous people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God nor show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became futile. See, this is this passage. And their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Can you imagine when Paul's writing this? He's looking around Rome and he's saying, oh my gosh, look at all these statues. If you go to Rome today, those statues aren't there but new ones are. If you've ever been to Rome, there's a lot of statues everywhere. We're still doing it. We're still worshiping people. We're still worshiping statues. And you move to America, and you see it's not, we don't have literal statues erected of people, but we worship things that were created. We worship materials. We hold on to stuff. My neighbor was moving out. He's one of our chapel friends here. And it was a really stressful move for them. And then I, I said, hey, hey, brother, all of our stuff is the stuff of future garage sales and dumpsters. Everything we own is going to end up in a dumpster or in a garage sale or the patch thrift shop, if you know what I mean. So let's not hold on to it. 
And I didn't know what kind of impact that had, but apparently it, he, he talked to me later, and he goes, and that is, that is, that was wonderful. So we need that kind of reminder. Okay. Um, he goes on to talk here. Verse 24, therefore God delivered them over to their desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded amongst themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what man has created instead of the creator, who is forever praised. That's who he's talking about here in Ephesians 4. That's who he's talking about. Verse 20, and uh, go back to Ephesians 4.20. Ephesians 4.20, so he continues here. That first section was, was the old man. Now listen to three characteristics of the new man. But, now, but that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. Two, to be renewed to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And three, to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. He takes off his old self and he puts on the new and is, is renewed in his mind. Uh, four months ago, four months ago, I was, I was in Zambia. I was at a work trip and then I got a call in the middle of the night. And it was, a, it was a good friend of mine, old friend of mine. His name was, was Kevin. And I said, what's up? I was his wrestling coach in high school. I was only three years older than him, four years older than him. Uh, so we became close. Even during the, during the wrestling seasons, I, I coached him for years. And then when he got out, we, we kept in touch. I mean, just became, became really good friends. He stayed over at my house. I would stay at his house. It was, it was a good time. He says, hey, man. I just got out of prison recently. And I was like, what? He spent three and a half years for prison, doing drugs, uh, selling drugs, and he, and he just sold just the right amount of drugs where it was, it was the kind of crime where he would be put in jail for three and a half years. I couldn't believe it. I was, I was blown away. And he said, yeah, I've been out for three and a half years, and I'm a pastor now. In, and I forgot, I forgot which state, but he goes, I want to thank you because something you said to me, like you, the way you poured into me when I was in high school, it stuck with me. And the whole time I was in jail, I was thinking about these things. You, you were, were always reminding me of who I am in Christ and my true identity. And so I just wanted to call you and say thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor now in, in, uh, in Arkansas or something like that. Somewhere he wanted to get away from, from L.A. And, and as I was thinking about this sermon, this passage made me think of him again. So I called him last night. We were on FaceTime, and I said, hey, Kevin, tell me what it was like to wear, those, to wear that jumpsuit for three and a half years, and then when you finally got to put on your own clothes. What was that like? And he said, well, you know, I was in this jumpsuit three and a half years. Man, prison is, prison is crazy. You have, to, you have to find your ethnic group, and you join that group whether you like it or not. I mean, yeah, you, you know, you're, you're prison guard before, David. You know what it's like. So he's, he's living this life, and then he says when you transition out, they take your old clothes, and then they give you these, uh, he said it was a gray, a gray suit. 
it's kind of like, it looks like civilian clothes, but it's gray. So he's still kind of identified, but then they let you go, and he goes home, and he puts on his new clothes for the first time. He goes, I can't explain it. it the, the, the type of freedom that you feel when you finally get to put on new clothes, your own clothes, clothes that you want, it's like nothing else. How crazy would this be if Kevin would say, it's been three and a half years, man. I, I kind of want to put on that old orange jumpsuit again. Wouldn't that be crazy? If he put it on and like, even if he just touched it, he shouldn't even have it. Imagine he puts it on, he starts driving around with it. Like, oh, I remember this old feeling. This is good. That's exactly what it's like to, to put on the old man again. There's, there's, there's things that, that we know we shouldn't be doing because that's the way the spirit works. Here, here's the frustrating thing in my mind. Okay? I'm aware of all my sin. I really am. That's what's frustrating because as I'm doing it, as I'm lashing out anger, um, I, I'm justifying in my mind that, uh, well, I'm just going to do this anyways. And the Holy Spirit's so clear in my mind, he goes, don't, don't talk that way to your kids. Don't, don't do it. And then I tell the Holy Spirit, you know, you just you take a back seat. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, because I'm so angry right now. I'm going to do this. So I'm constantly stuffing the truth and turning up the voice of the world and turning down the voice of God. Did you know, you know, something that God is doing all the time? What's one thing that God is doing all the time? 24-7, 365. He's speaking to us. He's whispering into our ears truth, nonstop. God is never done talking to us and whispering love to us and speaking truth to us. But when I turn up the voice of the world, it kind of drowns out the voice of God. When I hear more trash, it kind of drowns out the truth. Until I turn back the light on, and when I turn the lights on, then, then all the truth, all the, all the trash just disappears. That's the way light works. So that, that's what's frustrating for me is I, I see what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm kind of like as ridiculous as is, it is for an old prisoner who's been set free to put on his own clothes again. That's how, that's how silly it is. But Paul's encouraging us. He's encouraging us in this passage. I'm going to move on here. Take off your former way of life. Put on the new self. Be renewed in your minds. Remember the prayer back in, in one of the greatest prayers in the Bible, I believe, Ephesians chapter 3, right? That Paul prays for the Ephesians to be strengthened with power in their inner being through his spirit. That's my prayer for us. That's a prayer for, for myself. That's a prayer for all of us together as a community, that you would be stronger and stronger internally. Outward strength is worth something, but it's not as beneficial as the inward strength that gets us through all these tough times and what life throws at us. But it's constantly something we have to be doing together and together in community. And last night on the phone, I was talking to Kevin. I said, man, I want to keep doing life with you, man. I, I want to I keep connected. Even though we're separated, technology will afford us to be together. And, and he goes, yeah, man, it's, it's, I'm still trying to find my identity in Christ. And he goes, I get attacked all the time. I get attacked all the time. He hears voices in his head. You, you know, you're, you're a convicted felon, man. You ain't, ain't ever going to be anything. You're, no one's going to, everybody's going to see you through that, and that's your identity. And so he, he said, when I sent him a text, he's like, it woke him up. He was eating dinner. He got a text, hey, man, can you, could we talk about your, your new identity? And he, he said, community, me just sending him a text or calling him woke him up. And he was, he was going through something, and it, and it brought him back. That's how it's going to work here. 
Isolation is not the worst thing we do, but it's how we do all the worst things. So we need to be, keep, be being known in community. That's, that's what freedom looks like. That's what freedom looks like. Okay, uh, let's wrap up this last section here. Verse 25. Paul's going to give all these things. Okay, here's the first five verbs here. The first five verbs. Therefore, put away lying and speak the truth to one another. The heart is deceitful. We see that all throughout Scripture. And you know what the heart is? The heart is, it comes from the Greek word cardia, which, which is why cardiologist is a doctor of the heart. But when the Greeks used the word cardia, they were talking about the inner, the inner man. They were talking about the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's the, deep, it's the thinking capacity of our being. It's not the physical blood-pumping organ. It's what we think with, what we, what, we, what we make decisions with. The heart is deceitful, not because it deceives, my heart deceives you. My heart's deceitful because it deceives me. That's why our hearts are deceitful. It deceives me all the time into believing lies instead of the truth, into believing I have something to be angry about when Christ paid that. That's why the heart's deceitful. And that's where the lies come from. But we have to speak truth to one another, to each his neighbor. I want to focus on this next one, uh, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. I have heard so many people quote this passage. I'm talking about Christians. It says be angry. It's a command. Be angry and don't sin. And, and because it's there... It's really a justification for people to hold on whatever they're angry about and to justify their actions. And that all changed when I read this book called Unoffendable by Brandon Hansen. Has anybody read this book? Yes. <laughs> it's a wonderful book. Okay? But it's all, okay, speak the truth. Don't be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. These are all really related to, to anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Apparently, being angry and hold on, holding on to it gives the devil an opportunity. So I read this book about uh, being unoffendable, okay? It was right after I saw this meme of, of The Rock. He's like, ten, top ten things losers say, and one of them was, I'm offended. But I read this book. Does it count? If I, can I say I read it if I listened on Audible? Okay, so I listened on Audible like ten times. This thing was, this thing was amazing. He, he quotes that Ephesians 4 passage, be angry and do not sin. And he goes, yeah, but if you keep reading, if you keep reading, at the very end it says, get rid of all anger. So guess what? You don't get to keep it. In fact, Colossians 3.8, Colossians 3.8 says this, but now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. In other places, look at James 120, James 120, James 120 says this, for human anger doesn't accomplish God's righteousness. There's actually no place in our lives for anger. But what about all these injustices? What about, that's not my business. I think that's God's business. Look at these quotes. Perhaps you've noticed, this is Brant speaking, Perhaps you've noticed that Jesus encountered one moral mess after one moral mess, and he was never taken aback by anyone's morality, ever. I can't find any stories, maybe you can find one, where Jesus sees an immoral person and says anything like, wow, okay, well, 
that's really disgusting. That's just, that's just too much. Jesus doesn't do that. And if Jesus doesn't do it, we shouldn't do it. I heard someone once say, if it sounds silly coming out of Jesus' mouth, maybe it should sound silly coming out of our mouth. He goes on to say, why, is, why isn't righteous anger ever listed among the things that a spirit-filled life will bring us? If it's righteous, why is it not akin to the fruit of the spirit, like love, joy, peace, and gentleness? Why is anger in scripture so consistently lumped in the other list with things like, say, slander and malice, with no exclusions for righteous variety? <laughs> right? So I'm starting to let go of like, okay, I guess I, I guess I shouldn't be living in righteous anger. I suspect our sense of entitlement to anger is directly proportional to our perception of our own relative innocence. That one hurts. That one hurts. Lastly, I'll say this. Choosing to be unoffendable not only helps me sleep at night rather than worrying about my latest online stand for truth, it helps me remember that Jesus didn't even ask me to take a stand for truth on everything. He told his followers to go and make disciples, make other followers. I want to just share this really quick. I've lived the past two years in what I thought was righteous anger. And if you know a little bit about that story, um, I I lost my dad. My dad died about two years ago. And I I spent the next two years being really, like, confused and resentful. And then I started, uh, because what happened was was either uh, died innocently or, or died uh, at the hands of nefarious uh, doctors who gave him a drug that, that killed him. But I don't know. I don't know. I'll ask Jesus when I, when I meet him. But what I did is I wasted a lot of time over the past two years being resentful, convincing myself that my trash talking of these type of people or these people who with this beliefs or these people who wear this was justified. And I got around friends who believed the same as me and, and I just gathered my own allies and I just... When people should have been hearing the gospel come out of me, they were hearing my, my conspiracies and my things that were pretty justified. I had some good evidence. I had done a lot of research. But God's saying, I already ha- I handled this. There's actually a billion ways to die, and none of them surprise me. I determine when people go. It's appointed for man to die once, and after that, to face judgment. That's in the book of Hebrews. So on the two-year anniversary, which is on the 27th of June, which was just a, uh, a, a week ago, we were doing the memorial service, and I was, I told uh, Jeanette, I, I'm going to pull over, and I'm going to uh, just journal a little bit before I get there. And I journaled, and, and the Lord gave me something so clear. He gave me something so clear that I was at a peace that I couldn't understand after two years, and that was this. He said, Ryan, the worst that could have happened to your dad, the worst, the worst case, is that your dad died like Jesus, unjustly and at the hands of corrupt people. That's the worst that could have happened. And all of a sudden, this, this weight just, like, it just, I felt light. I felt light. And it was done from that point. It didn't bring him back. It didn't right any wrongs, if there was any. It just, I was at peace. And I didn't need to worry about it anymore. And I, and I, and I moved on. I moved on. The grief is still there. Grief only lasts as long as the person you loved is gone. So it'll be here for a lifetime, but the journey looks different now. And that's my encouragement for everybody here is, is when, when God speaks to you, you, be, you arrive at a place of peace. When the world speaks to you, you're confused and angry all the time. And it's draining. It's super draining. 
the rest of the list here is, is all related to that, that concept. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Guess what? Stealing comes out of the place where my heart's in the wrong place. Working with your hands. When you don't work with your hands, that comes out of the wrong place. Being lazy. So that you can share with anyone in need. Look at verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That's the, that's the fruit of a heart that's off. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit from which you were sealed until the day of redemption. If, if you want to know if the doctrine of eternal security, is, it's, that's one passage right there. You're sealed until the day of redemption. It's a long time. We should never call into question our, our salvation. We might not feel saved at times, but guess what? It doesn't matter on our feelings. It's not about our struggle. It's about his rescue. Let all bitterness, here's, here's the part that nobody ever read to me. Everybody who ever quoted me, Ephesians 4.26, be angry. They never read this passage right here. They never finished it. Let all bitterness and anger and rage, shouting and slander be removed with all malice. Lastly, be kind and compassionate. And then thir- and the 13th verb there, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. As I was preparing this sermon, I was actually, you know, I got in an argument with, with my son, and I just felt like so, I felt so like, like, ah, I shouldn't be, I, I'm not worthy to speak here. So I started reaching out to my community. I reached out to my, my, my buddy, uh, Rob, Rob Wilkerson, and he goes, two words, brother, long game. And he goes, this is a great uh, event to happen so that this thing is real to you, so you're not preaching out of something like that, that's not real to you. And then I'm going to get my, my, my phone here. Uh, I want to read you the text that, that my good friend, Eric Bryan, sent me. And uh, I'll, I'll close with this. As I was feeling down, I get this text from, from Eric. He goes, we're in this together. And I know all of us feel the same. That's why verse 32 brings us all together. This verse 32 says this, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. We're supposed to do this, we're supposed to do this together. I mean, you look at this list, and it's a daunting list. And I don't know if anybody's knocking this out of the park. So here's what I propose, that we just do this together. And if we normalize the practice the ongoing ethics of confession and repentance in front of each other in the midst of community, then we normalize the struggle and then Jesus becomes savior to all of us and we stop praying, Lord, I don't want to need you today as much as I did yesterday. And our our constant need for the savior should be a good thing. It's 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 not a win to say, yeah, I didn't need Jesus as much today. Yes, I didn't have to call him. But if it's like I had to call him a lot today, that, that's a win. I would like to end by sharing you, uh, with you a song by my, one of my favorite artists, Mike Donahue. He wrote a song called All Together. And this guy, this guy gets it. I've never met him. I would like to meet him one day, but, but he gets it. The, the importance of confession, life together, community. And, and this, this song is amazing because... Um, I'll just play it for you.
And I, I encourage you, as you listen to this, um, yeah, it's kind of upbeat, it's, it's contemporary, it's, it's kind of hip, but look at the lyrics and just, just in, enjoy it. Let it speak to you, let God speak to you through these lyrics in this song. If you want to get up and dance, then go up and get up and dance, okay? All right. No more playing this in my sky. Don't pretend I'm all right. Take a good song? Isn't that truth? Truth sounds so good, doesn't it? The next time you, you struggle with things on this list, how to live the Christian life, I, I want you to bring it, bring it to others. Bring it to God, but bring it to others. And let's do this together. Pat's Chapel, imagine what our community would look like if we did life together.
we encourage one another with these things. If we no longer hid, if we said, here's, here's who I am, here's where I'm at, and we loved each other through these things. Please join me and bow your heads and receive this benediction. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all we could ask or think, according to the power that has worked within us, to him be the glory in Jesus Christ and in the church, to every generation, now and forever. Amen. Pat's Chapel, um, go in peace. And please, if you have time, join us for fellowship and lunch next door. Thank you.